The other thing I want to mention is the House. We are, we just voted to be moving ahead. Uh, we've had $38,000 given to the beginning of the restoration. We're estimating about another 50000 so we need to raise some money. Uh, but we are moving ahead to, uh, you know, redo the house and make it suitable for us for Sunday school uh, and for prayer rooms. I mean, you know, like here you know, on Sunday, we've got Sunday school, but we, we need more Sunday school space, which we'll, we'll have. Uh, but also... Uh, during the week and other times we'll be having a chance to use that for prayer and for the healing ministry that we have here. We're really excited about that. Uh, and uh, so if you would remember to be praying, uh, if God lays on your heart, we will not turn down your money either. Uh, but we're not going to cost you either. I'm sure where there's vision, there is provision. And uh, there's vision. And we're excited about what God's doing uh, at this time. Uh, was there anything else I was supposed to say this morning? I always, Susie always says, don't forget to say, I can't remember, so we're going to move on. If you would put up, we're going to be this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And uh, <clears throat> it's a little bit ambitious this morning to, 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 to uh, take hold of this text. I've preached this text before, but not in the way that I want to preach this morning. And what I want to remind you is... Uh, that the Ark of the Covenant was, in a very real way, a tangible presence, a place on which the very presence of God would come in the temple on the Day of Atonement. And so it was a place, it was 535 pounds. Uh, that's, a, that's a lot. And the, the lid, which was gold, was over 100 pounds of gold. So it was not a little thing. You know, I mean, imagine it would have looked like a big chest to, uh, to us. In a sense, it looked like, I heard someone say the other day, uh, it was a seat, and of course it would look like a seat in a sense, but it not, wasn't a small seat. It wasn't a typical sort of seat or throne, the mercy seat. Uh, some of you remember that inside they had the, uh, the showbread, they had the Ten Commandments, and then they had Aaron's rod, uh, which if you remember when it was, we talked about last week, when uh, the people were complaining, the tribes were complaining about the Levites and, and Aaron being able to be the ones to serve at the altar, and they were jealous and all that. Uh, that, that the uh, Aaron's rod is the only one that budded to show that he was God's choice, but he budded in terms of the into almonds, and the idea was that the priesthood would become a blessing to everyone, that all the tribes would benefit, that it wasn't as if God made favorites and somehow was putting them that way, that the gifts and the calling that God gave as priests was there for the blessing of the other tribes. And so immediately, between the rod that budded, that would be a pretty powerful sign, uh, and the fact that it came forth in almonds, and they understood the, the symbolism of that, uh, that it put down and kind of completed this season where there was some rebellion that Korah had started. I hope that you can follow that. All right, now, the ark then was in the tabernacle, and it was in different places like Shiloh, but if you remember, because of the sins of Eli back in 1 Samuel, they were Eli was a good guy, a decent guy, but he allowed his sons who were also priests, uh, to sleep around and to misuse. They had virgins that worked at the temple, and, he, and they raped them, uh, and they uh, mistreated them, and they were cheat, stealing the money. There was all kinds of corruption. And Eli had many opportunities to get his sons in line. And though Eli was a good guy, the Bible says he literally went to hell based upon the fact that he did not reverence God by disciplining his sons. Now, in my day... That was an excuse to go home and spank your kids. We're not suggesting that you do. I'm just, I mean, you know, hey, you know, be good parents, discipline. But I mean, if you can imagine that Eli, what God held against Eli is he had it within his power and authority to discipline very wicked sons, and he indulged them. 
What a horrible thing. Uh, and the cost was massive. And part of what they were doing is they had lost the presence of God because of intimacy. So they were taking the ark with them in the battle because they knew God wouldn't just go with them. So they took the ark or the place on earth uh, that was sort of this touchstone of God's presence and they took it into battle believing that there's no way God would allow them to lose uh, because the ark was with them. But finally God said enough is enough that his name and his character were more important than simply the presence of the ark. And so the Philistines got the ark and captured the ark. And I'm giving you kind of the whole background. I'm giving you a sermon. Just the introduction gives the whole of 1 Samuel. How about that? Don loves it. I mean, he's just like, more, more. Okay, Don, I'm coming, Don. Yeah, there you go. All right, so uh, the Philistines get the ark, but of course, the ark in their presence is not welcomed by God. And so what happens, they started getting tumors, and they started having infantation of rats, and they weren't able to conceive. And, uh, and so they realized this, and then eventually, uh, etc. they decide to return the ark, which they do. Now, when they return the ark, it goes to a city called Beth Shemesh. And the ark is there. The, the, the ark is sent back with two cows and on a cart, etc. It goes to Beth Shemesh. And the problem is, when it gets to Beth Shemesh, the people peek inside the ark. Now, this I say for all those lovers of Raiders of the Lost Ark and all these ones. Just this week, different people are asking me, uh, do you think it's in Ethiopia? Because we're talking about going to Ethiopia and everything. And of course, there's reasons that the, I mean, it appears that the Ethiopians have at least one that they believe is the Ark of the Covenant. And there's several other places. Some people believe, I mean, for example, the, the Hasim or the Orthodox Jews, they're not out looking in Ethiopia for the Ark. So there's at least a tradition that they have one hidden somewhere under the, the Mount in Jerusalem. You know, no one knows for sure. But one of the cases against the Ark being in Ethiopia is, you don't see the Orthodox Jews looking in Ethiopia. So uh, they, they would be the ones who would be the most motivated to find it. And uh, at least, the, you know, people say, how would you know? They say that they have one. Uh, again, who knows? But the people of Beth, she, uh, of Beth Shemesh looked, opened the ark, and because of that, God destroyed 50,000 of them. That's a, a, a good thing about curiosity kills the cat. Um, not a good thing. It was a very serious act of irreverence against the holiness and the presence of God. And if we didn't know how good and loving God is in Jesus, it, it, that would be a, it would stump us completely. I don't understand. I mean, I have a small grasp of the holiness of God and a tiny, you know, if we really understood the greatness of who God is, it would make a whole lot more sense to us when he uh, honored his name and did sort of some of these things uh, that he did with it to us we cannot fully appreciate because we don't really just understand how great uh, and awesome he really is. But in any case, imagine that. Well, then the ark had to go somewhere. And of course, after killing 50,000 people in Beth Shemesh, which is about 1 Samuel chapter 6, uh, they were looking for some group of people who were sort of not real bright who would take the ark. And so they sent it to a city, and the city has several names in the Bible, and... Up there you see in verse 1 and 2, it says, And David gathered all the choice men of Israel, because he's moving the ark from the one city, I'm going to tell you the name, Baal Judah, up into Jerusalem, after he got Jerusalem. So, and David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. All right, now, 
The Lord of hosts is, of course, Lord God of Sabaoth. Not Sabbath. Sabbath is rest or Saturday. You know, Sabbath. Okay. Sabaoth is host, which is warrior armies. Okay, so the inscription on the ark is, the army is the Lord, or the Lord God of Sabaoth, uh, okay, who dwells between the That's what's the inscription on the ark. All right, so this 535-pound thing, uh, all these people just died. This is, you know, 20 years earlier from, the, from first, 2 Samuel 6, and the people in Baal, Judah, this little town, it's 18.8 kilometers. Now, I don't really get my kilometers and liters and all these things, but, but kilometers, I think it's about 12 miles. Uh, according to Google Maps, you can get there in 20 minutes by car. All right, so 20 minutes by car, so whatever that is. Uh, so this town, not eight, how many miles is it? You guys know. Six? 16? 16? Well, Google Maps said 20 minutes, so I don't know if it's a big highway. I don't know how. I mean, I, I, I just know. But it's 18.8 kilometers. I, did, I just Google mapped it because you see these maps and you can't tell. Is that an hour? Is it you know, five minutes? You can't tell. So I just Google mapped it. Today. By car, you can get there in 20 minutes according to Google Maps uh, in any case. All right, so it's this little town. But this little town is pretty significant, and we're going to get there by the end. So today I want to talk about the house that God blesses. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm looking for. And the house that God blesses is not only our home, but we want nothing less than our physical property, finance. We want those things to be blessed. We want our marriages to be blessed. I can't tell you how thankful I am uh, for inner healing and deliverance and the things. Uh, I, I, you know, when I was young, I was sincere. I was trained intellectually and theologically, but my heart was very wounded, and I didn't know it. And so, I mean, Susie, you know, she came from a pretty good family, so she assumed that I was a pretty reasonable person. That was a big mistake. She found out in a matter of, you know, sometimes people's honeymoon stage lasts like uh, five years, they say. Susie's honeymoon stage lasted about uh, three hours or something. No, I'm kidding. But it was a pretty short-lived thing. I mean, she realized she was expecting that I was sort of like her dad, except for talkative. She found out that I'm talkative and not like her dad, and that was a big disappointment in a hurry. I mean, we had a really tough time for, you know, we both loved Jesus, we were committed to the marriage, but it, you know, we tell people we loved each other, but we did not like each other very much. I liked her more than she liked me probably, but nonetheless, there's good reason for that. So, I, I mean, the, the blessing of God and to see and to look back as the Holy Spirit, and we were not particularly open to the Holy Spirit, we were not raised with talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about any kind of healing. Um, the Holy Spirit began to move in our lives, and... Uh, Really, me personally, I resisted it because I was afraid. I, I, I just didn't know what it was, and I was afraid of the Lord's presence like that And when he started moving. But in God's great mercy, he was more committed to love me and to heal me than I was to receive love and healing. And so, uh, you know, I'm so grateful. Uh, we're still learning. We're still growing. You know, no one, no one gets a badge that we're finished, but, but what an amazing thing to look back and see all the things that God's done. So, uh, a house that God blesses. Now, for 20 years after the Philistines returned the ark, the people of Beth Shemesh had the, they gave the ark over to the city of little town, not a big town, Baal Judah, also known as Bala, which again, that word means master. Baal means master. So in Hebrew, it doesn't mean necessarily an idol, but because the Canaanites use that term, we think of it almost exclusively with the idol of Baal or the god of Baal. But the word means master, so that didn't have to mean. So 
So Baal, Judah, uh, Bala, or Kiram, Jerem. Uh, excuse me, Kirath, Jerem. I'm sorry, I'm terrible. All right. It's today known as the city of Abu Ghosh. The Arabs call it Abu Ghosh. If you want to Google it, some of you on your phones, you'll be Googling it now. Abu, A-B-U, Ghosh, G-H-O-S-H, Abu Ghosh. All right, so they had these different names in history. So in this small town, a guy named Abinajab and his son Eleazar had been given the responsibility to watch the ark. And people basically forgot about the ark and the temple worship or tabernacle worship for 20 years. But when David became king of both, not only of Judah, but also of Israel, he went and immediately he fought and he took over Jerusalem. And that's in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, he kills the Jebusites, and the first thing he wants to do is to bring the worship of the ark and the presence of the ark to Jerusalem to solidify Jerusalem as a political and religious center. All right, so he's moving the ark from this place where it's been for 20 years, uh, 18.8 kilometers, sort of uh, north and mostly east, uh, I mean, excuse me, mostly west of Jerusalem towards uh, the Mediterranean, and uh, he wants to bring it there. And he's so excited. And then David's a worshiper. Uh, and so he gets 30,000 people to be part of the worship party. And so they're there, and they are worshiping, and they're worshiping with all kinds of string instruments. Now, I was raised, you know, a while back now, and the only, I, we had people in the churches we grew up, we thought the only instrument that was holy was the organ. You know, the organ was, wasn't even invented like, till like a thousand, you know, I mean, after Christ. I mean, it's just not, and I love the organ, and we love the organ, but uh, it's funny, there's churches that used to split 20, 30 years ago because someone would play a guitar. I once had an Anglican priest tell me, he said, when I hear a guitar in the church, I can't worship. There's a priest, and I really liked a lot until this statement, but he said, he said, but, but when I see a guitar, he had visited our church. He said, but when I see a guitar, it reminds me of all the honky-tonks, and I can't worship like that. Like a guitar was the instrument of the devil and honky-tonk music. You know, all right. So he was a nice guy, but I was like, okay. Um, he had some strong feelings about that. But anyway, so in this procession, look what it says. It says they, they worshiped and played music, and they danced, believe it or not, on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. Most of those instruments I don't really enjoy that much, but nonetheless, apparently God does, because he was pleased with that part of the worship procession. But they don't get very far in this little town. By the way, today, Abu Ghosh is known as the world, Guinness Book of World Records for the biggest pot of hummus. It's the hummus capital of the world. <coughs> they say I always have a food reference. So there's a food reference for my people that pay attention. <coughs> there we go. All right. So, yeah. all right. So, they get, so they're just in this small town. They take, maybe they go four or five uh, houses down the street, and all of a sudden they come by this guy's door. And the implication in Hebrew is that there was a demon in that house, and that's why the oxen tripped. That they had a spirit, like they got spiritual interference as they're going down the street. In English, I wouldn't really pick that up, but when you read the commentators, they say what's suggested by saying this guy's threshold is that there was a presence there, and the spiritual conflict called the oxen to, to trip. All right, now David, of course, put the ark on 
a cart. And, uh, but Numbers tells us, I think it's chapter 4, verse 5, but in Numbers, it tells us that the ark was supposed to care, be carried by poles. Okay, But it was very heavy. And so by expedience, 530 pounds, they said, well, we'll just put it in a cart. It'll be, it'll be easier, it's a long way, and it's a tough way. So they thought that they could worship God the way they want it, not the way God said. That is a big lesson, by the way. Do you know how many people don't get that? God is thrilled with our guitars, or if we wave our hands, or don't wave our hands. He loves it if we kneel, or if we stand, or if we sit. You don't have to be charismatic in your stuff. But there are some things that matter to God. And when God says, don't do this, it's a big deal. And it's a really big mistake. I've heard people say basically at times, it's not a big deal when God says, listen, there's a whole lot of stuff that's not a big deal. Whether you like guitars or organ, that's not a big deal. But let me tell you something. When God says, do it this way, then it's got to be God's way. Okay? That's reverence. All right? We need two key things. In the 19th century, the big philosophical problem was, how can a God who is transcendent also be imminent? How can he also be present in Christ? Meaning, that the, the philosophers, the liberal philosophers, they just couldn't grasp how we could believe in the Bible, a God who could speak and create 600 million galaxies and at the same time be known personally. And that's a big thing, except for the Bible tells us that's who God is. That our God, the creator, ruler God of all the universes and ones we don't know of yet, is a God who has revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and he can be known personally, even though he is infinite and far beyond our capacity to fully comprehend him. We can apprehend him because he has revealed himself in his word and the person of Jesus Christ. All right? So, so this God has said, hey, it's got to be certain things. When it comes to the Ark of the Covenant, which is the touch point on earth for my presence under the Mosaic Covenant, you can't just fool around with that and touch it. It can't be because we are other, okay? Because he is the creator and we are the creature. Because that is a place where blood will be sacrificed on to eventually to show us about the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And because the holiness and the wonder of Jesus and the cross that was going to come, the, the ark had to be honored uh, in terms of God's presence. So, it comes there. So when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, look at verse 6 there, Uzzah, who was one of the sons of Abinadad, who had the ark for 20 years, him and his son Eleazar had been consecrated just to watch the ark for 20 years. But he had two other sons, Uzzah and the other son was Ahio or something. It's A-H-I-O. It looks like Ohio with an A. Ohio, so however you say that. But anyway, so they come to Nacon's fleshing floor. Uzzah put his hand to the ark and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. And so he just wanted to steady it. The problem was, it should never have been on a cart to be steady. Number one. Number two, it was presumptuous to touch it as a human being because of the holiness of God. It was an understatement of the nature of our sin and the holiness of God in his goodness. Uh, and then seven, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. Do you know that there are sins that we can make that are not intentional? I mean, I, I've been amazed, you know, times of things I didn't realize, and also, oh my goodness, I didn't know. Uh, there's people, I mean, I could give you story after story, but we, we have a dear friend in India. His son received a box. Uh, he ended up becoming very sick, and we're still praying for him. He's still going to have some problems, and I'm actually sending some money tomorrow to India because he's going to need some PT. But about 80% of the problem went away when he realized that he had been given a box that had been blessed by a Buddhist monk. And when he received this box as a gift, 
he immediately began to have problems in his hip, in his joints. Now, he has a problem in his, uh, a natural problem in his back, but his hip problem that he had, they said at 20 years old, he was going to need a hip replacement. When he repented on receiving the box, he didn't know he was doing anything wrong. He didn't know he had been blessed by a Buddhist monk at the time. But when he received that thing, which was a cursed object, his physical body began to experience tremendous pain. And when he went to the doctor in Siligari, they said, you're going to need a hip joint replacement. That's a big surgery for a 20-year-old. When we figured out, I had a dream. They asked me to pray. You know, these guys are real prayer people, right? But I'm praying late at night, and I see a picture of a box with a snake in it. Now, if I normally had a picture of a box with a snake in my mind, I'd think, that's crazy, and I'd pay attention to something else. But because I was praying for my friends, I thought, so I wrote them. Is it possible? I have all the, the uh, I messages. It's, I can't wait. One day it'll be in a book. Such an incredible thing. I said, I don't know, but I had this weird vision of this. Is it possible? And I saw a bow on top of it, and he asked his son. His son said, his son said no, he never received it. And then a three or four days later, he remembered that a girl gave him a box, and the story unfolds when he repented, though he did not intentionally do anything wrong. When he repented for receiving a box, which was a cursed object, immediately about 80% of the pain in his leg left. He still has stenosis, or when the spine is too tight along his, uh, uh, you got these doctors, whatever, but you, somehow his discs are too small or something. Anyway, they're working on that uh, this week even. But, but the hip, all that immediately cleared up when he repented for receiving a cursed object. Uzzah did not apparently mean to violate the holiness of God, but he did. But he did, right? And, and God, because of the nature of God's presence and the nature of the divinity of Christ that was coming, it, it was something that had to be honored, and it was not honored in that way. Eight, and David became angry. Like, God, if you're going to punish people like that, I don't want any part of it. What's going to happen to me? A little self-focused, but nonetheless, I uh, understand. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah, the judgment, and, uh, you know, uh, to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, got offended with the Lord, and said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Why would I want to do that? If God's holy like that, I don't want to take a chance that we all die, my family dies. So where is he going to put the ark? He's no longer going to take it to Jerusalem. So is he going to put the ark in the house of one of his friends? No. When, when you think God may curse somebody and it's something serious, he may die, you put the ark in someone you don't like. So apparently, not very far on the street, was a Gittite. And Obed-Edom was a Gittite. Now he was apparently following the religion of Israel. But he was, by his ethnicity, he was a Philistine. Gittite and Gath, that's a home of the Philistines, the arch enemies of the Jews. So though this guy was a worshiper of God, at the same time, David's kind of like, well, he's not family, so if we put it at your house and you die, who cares? This is not an example of David exhibiting godly leadership. Okay? The Bible tells us things that it doesn't approve of. This is not suggesting this is a good course. But thankfully for Obed-Edom, what was intended by David for evil became the greatest blessing that he could ever imagine. So David would not move the ark of the Lord, verse 10, into the city of David. 
But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, which is, again, means Philistine. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Because when the presence of God came, he had reverence for the presence of God. Now I want to tell you something. Abinadab and his son Eleazar had the ark and watched the ark for 20 years. There is no suggestion that there was supernatural blessing in his house. And yet there's no suggestion that he did not do a bang-up job as far as it goes. There's something about Obed-Edom that when the ark came to his place, there's something about the heart that received the presence of God that went further and greater. In fact, and I'm going to get to the end at the, this point, but when the ark was taken from his house because David got jealous, Obed-Edom went and became a gatekeeper in the temple and in Jerusalem. Meaning, he said, I will go, I would rather be a janitor in the household of God than to be in 10,000 courts elsewhere. That's his psalm, by the way. That's Obed-Edom. I think there's something like 20 to 30 psalms that are in the book of Psalms that Obed-Edom wrote. Can you imagine a heart that says, though they put this thing, and we're all scared to death because someone just died, though they put it in my house, he recognized the presence of God, and he was so open to God and so wanting of God that it was impossible for the blessing of God not to bless the house. I'm 53. I'm thinking legacy kind of things. You know, what are we going to leave behind? We're going to go back and, you know, is St. Andrew's going to make the kind of impact in this city? Are we going to see the kind of disciples? Are we going to have the kind of, you know, we, we've given our life here. Very, you know, not, nothing great stuff, but, but Lord, with your blessing. I want my family to be a house that God blesses. I, I want the church to be a church or a house that God blesses. I want your families to be a family that God blesses in a supernatural way. I want your tomatoes to be different from your neighbor's. No one's growing them anymore. I wish we had tomato growers in here. Because the nice thing, when tomatoes come in, there's always a lot of them. You can't eat them all, so you've got a priest who's game, all right? I, we had a garden one time in Mississippi, and I mean, that garden was incredible. I mean, the squash and the, I mean, everything, his wife was having children, everything was happening because he had a different, Abinadab had the art for 20 years. No record of anything special with him or his household. But when a true worshiper experienced the presence of God, even in this object, this holy object, it was enough for everything about him to change. Now, just to give the story and then to close. Now it was told to King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. David's like, we're not going to have any of that. I didn't send that ark over there for them to be blessed. If God's in the blessing business now and not the killing business, we're going to bring that ark back to me in the city of David. That's a wise leader right there. They didn't bring it on the cart this time. And they brought the ark and the presence of God came. Now, I want to mention to you this verse uh, in 1 Chronicles chapter 26. It's not on the screen. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 26, for the, for the uh, good students... You can go and look at that chapter, and it tells us closing remarks over the life of Obed-Edom. And I'm just going to go to the bottom, because it talks about how great all this... He has six sons, 
He had 262 grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and the Bible says every one of them were, distinguished themselves and were great leaders. A man made a decision to honor the presence of God, and his generation flourished the three generations that the Bible speaks of in 1 Chronicles. It didn't go any further when this was written. But finally it says, all of the descendants, verse 8 of 1 Chronicles 26, all of these descendants of Obed-Edom, including their sons and grandsons, 62 of them in all, were very capable men, well qualified for their work. The implication being that because of the presence of God, they flourished. They grew into leaders and men that distinguished themselves in every way. Because somebody received the presence of God in a different way. Abinadab and his family had the ark for 20 years. But a different kind of man with a different kind of heart, the presence of God, they flourish in their generation. Now, that's what we're looking for, a different kind of heart. When the ark moves, Obed-Edom follows. He becomes a gatekeeper. He becomes, it means janitor. Okay? He, becomes a, he says, I'll sweep the floors, but I'm not doing anything. When the ark is there, I'm going to be in the presence of God. Now, this is the end of the story. Ob uh, Abu Ghosh, to this day, has never had a conflict between Jews and Arabs, or Jews and Muslims. I mean, the Muslims only started in 600. But in all of history, the people, even the Arabs and Abu Ghosh, took the side of the Israelites against corrupt, corrupt Arabs around them and Palestinians around them, even in the Six-Day War. I mean, they are known, this very strong family, powerful in the Ottoman Empire in recent history. In this little town, to this day, the home of Hummus, There has never been a conflict between Arabs, Muslims and Jews, or Muslims and Christians, or Jews and Christians. It is a place of peace. They call it the town of peace. The family of Obed-Edom long since moved away from that place. But the presence on that property in that town is such that to this day, the Muslims know the story, the Jews know the story, and the Christians know the story. They say the most beautiful church that the crusaders built in the holy lands is built and was stayed in the best shape of any other church in the middle east is the church in abu Ghosh. there is a convent there of charismatic catholic nuns and they say the presence of god in that convent is absolutely profound this is 2019, 600 years or something before the time of Christ, a man who was really being set up to be cursed had a heart to receive the presence of God. When we come to church, we can come like a Benajab and do a bang-up job, not do anything wrong, go through the motions, see the things, but there's a heart that's like a sponge that God's looking for in the people of God. A heart that would absolutely let nothing keep us away from the presence of God. There's something in this beautiful church. There's still something, it doesn't seem big, but there's something that's holding us back. To be 
like a sponge and to receive. Do you realize that we still, in 2019, when we have people up here praying on a Sunday morning, there'll be half the people will be talking and distracting the worship of God. Good people, people I love. When the Holy Spirit's moving and touching, and we're, instead of singing, instead of praying, we're talking about the whatever. Listen, I don't want to be a house like Abinadab. Good guy, did a good job. Nothing's ever said bad against him. But Obed-Edom, the Gittite. When the presence of God is there. He receives in a way that changes the destiny of his generations. And even the land of the town where he was, the ark was there for 20 years, there was nothing special on that little town. Until a man with a heart for God, a worshiper, a man of reverence for God, received the ark for three months, and it changed everything. And to this day, 2,600 years, something like that. 2,600 years. The town is known in one of the most contentious countries in the world between Muslims and Jews. The town is called a place of peace, and people know there has never been a conflict in that town throughout history. I'm looking to be a house like Obedidum. I'm looking for our church to, be, to, be a, to have a DNA like that. People who are compelling reason of existence is be worshipers of the living God. Listen, it's a long service. I preach a long time. It's a long liturgy. But I'm telling you, the day is going to come when we take communion and we praise and worship, and the most important thing is going to be there after communing with the living Christ uh, by the power of the Spirit in communion, we will not be able to stop praising and worshiping God. And all kind of other things that are possible to do. Now look, some of us are sick. I get it. I'm not trying guilt trip, but, but I'm telling you something. There'll be a time when people won't be able to leave. Because we shift in such a way that we would not dare to come all this and hear the word of God, confess our sins, receive the presence of Christ, and then run off before we have a chance to respond in praise and thanksgiving and worship to God. That's who we are. We're moving into who we are. We are worshipers with the main agenda of our life. The orientation, the compass of our lives, it's the Lord Jesus Christ and his worship because he's worthy of all those things. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love this family. We pray, Lord. When your presence comes, that it would become the most important thing in our lives. We don't want to be a house like a Abinadab, who does a good job, keeps the fort, doesn't let anything go wrong, but doesn't have a heart that's really in it. Lord, we want a passion. We want you to set us on fire. We want to be a house that you'll bless. Lord, we want to be a house that because of our decisions, 
You can't stop blessing our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. Lord, we pray that, that we be the kind of worshipers that your presence would be so honored that, that the demonic, all this other stuff, we wanted to focus because we're focusing on you, that your presence would be our protection, our, our, our provision, everything we need. Now, Lord, this is who we are, and we pray that for the grace to turn from what's wrong and to move into what's right in a far greater way than we've known in the past. Lord, I thank you. We can't do this individually. It's done individually, but it also has to be done together because we're a family. And I thank you for this family. There's no one on earth I would rather be walking, uh, following you with than the people that are here this morning. I, thank, I love our family, Lord. Together as a family, as a house. Give us the heart of Obed-Edom. Lord, that we would serve your anointing and your presence. And then serve this world that you died for. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven.